Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the managing director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast. We started this podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. There's lots of stuff you can go and read, but we're all very, very busy and would rather stick on a pair of headphones. We created the Sendcast to try and help support schools, but we found that the Sendcast is also a great way to get the same information to parents and carers. Every week on the Sendcast, I invite a guest to come and discuss a topic with me. And this week, my guest is Dr. Sarah Mosley. Sarah is an educational consultant specializing in reading and self-esteem. And this week, she is discussing with me how to create an inclusive reading curriculum for all learners. Now, before we get started, once again, as always, I would like to remind you about B Squared. Over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment products are used in over 15,000 schools around the world to help show small steps of progress, with around 1,500 using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. We also have our evidence system, Eversense, and our online CPD offering, Training for Education, that we launched three years ago with a range of CPD around SEND. If you want to find out more about B Square and how we can help your school, go to our website, which is www.bsquared.co.uk. You can also book an online meeting with me to find out how we can help support you. And you'll find a link to book that in the show notes. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing how to create an inclusive reading curriculum for all learners. This week, my guest is Dr. Sarah Mosley. Sarah is an educational consultant specializing in reading and self-esteem for pupils with SEND. She has worked in a wide range of schools and has published research around raising outcomes. And she has just finished her first book on teaching reading to all learners. As an educational consultant, she supports schools to raise outcomes for all learners, helping schools turn theory into practice. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hello, thank you for having me, Dale. You are welcome. So reading is obviously extremely important, and there is often guidelines for all, and I'm using air quotes for all, which often excludes pupils with SEND. Is there any guidance, and what is the guidance for those pupils? Okay, so first of all, the whole topic of reading is a really complex one. The whole topic of teaching reading, you've had some great podcasts on here that I've listened to, lovely one on dyslexia, phonics, looking at and thinking about how do we learn to read? I mean, that's a massive debate. What should we be doing? How should we be teaching our our learners? In terms of guidance, many moons ago when I first started teaching, the National Literacy Strategy came out and that was something that was kind of initially applied to all schools and initially applied to all learners. This led to lots of kind of very practice now, which obviously was was criticised in terms of thinking about our learners, particularly those in special schools, who were kind of included in something where ultimately it was about being part of sharing and reading and looking at books. So it was being done to them as opposed to with them. So yeah. the, 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 the big shift and the big change has been that actually we're really aware of the importance of our learners with the most complex needs being part of it, participating and get being engaged, actually having all of that kind of really, really built into that personalised framework from the very beginning. 
The problem is at that point, then I guess lots of kind of criticism of sort of talking about reading and talking about how appropriate it was to actually specifically discuss reading for our learners with the most complex needs, which meant that for many, it didn't form a kind of a, a part of the curriculum where it was specifically discussed. It wasn't specifically reading wasn't talked about in, in the same way as you would get it within mainstream education. Then guidance, you had the Ofsted inspection framework that sort of basically put a renewed focus on the teaching of reading for all learners. And this meant that if you had Ofsted coming into your school, if you're a special school, they would want to know, okay, what do you do for your learners right across the board? How does this look? What are we talking about? So that guidance was all, it wasn't all, all. Yeah. Not a non-SEN all. That was no, an all. It was all. a yeah, Every all learners. Child. Yeah, yeah. We should be thinking about the teaching of reading, teaching literacy for all learners. That that point, uh, I sort of was in senior leadership, then I went into headship within special education, and there was lots of discussion. You know, what's this going to look like? What the issue was was there wasn't very much support. There wasn't necessarily any any training or professional development or that was applicable yeah. to our schools, applicable to our learners. And about how does this work? What does it look like? Give us some examples. Show us where there is good practice. Let us share this and learn from each other. So it's meant that special schools have kind of been really having to make up and adapt and create their own curriculum around this, their own kind of ideas and frameworks. Then the reading framework came out last year and the implications of this reading framework were that it specifically discussed learners with severe learning difficulties, learners with complex needs. It specifically talked about literacy for all. It specifically talked about reading for all. And, and most importantly, it actually began to really talk about phonics for these learners. So not only was it this conversation about we should be teaching reading, it was actually then not only we're going to be teaching reading, but you're also going to make sure that you've got a really structured and consistent approach to phonics. Again, yeah. what was that going to look like? What were they thinking about when they were talking about special schools in particular? So our most complex learners with SEND, how would that be put into practice? And this left a lot of professionals, families, and learners really kind of left in the dark and trying to, again, interpret this themselves. Lots of discussion and quite kind of divided views and approaches, which is never yeah. good for anything within education. I do find some of the government's guidance over the last few years is really, you need to do something about this. Well, what? We're not going to tell you, but you need to do it. And you're like, okay, uh, are you putting anything on to help us work out? Nope, that's up to you. I just find some of that stuff is really, in, and generally what often happens is, as always in education, bad news travels fast. Yeah. So the negative view of what's being said will yeah. travel much quicker than the positives. And you'll read, there's this document, amazing, amazing, amazing. Oh, you're asking me to do this on top of everything else. That's yeah. a bit I'll focus on. Yeah. Which is very understandable with everyone's workload at the moment. I mean, I would say for me, my research 15, about 15, 16 years ago for my PhD actually focused exactly on this. It focused on how appropriate were at the time I talked about mainstream approaches to reading, how appropriate were mainstream approaches to reading for learners with severe learning difficulties. That's specifically what I looked at. I used a particular phonics scheme and I had really positive results. I worked with six schools across the UK. 
So actually, what I've what is positive, as you're saying, their bad news is travels faster than the positive bit of it's yep. got us all talking. It's got us all looking. It's got us actually talking to each other about what could work, what does, and also what is already in place. Because what we want to be doing with this is looking at the impact of a renewed focus on the teaching of reading. It's got muddled up a bit in phonics, which I'm going to come into that later. But actually, it's the bit, the reading. Let's have a renewed focus on reading and how important that is for all of our learners and absolutely for our learners with SEND. So one of my questions, I've not read this guidance, and I probably really should have before we did this podcast. But for me, there's in the same way as writing, there's two parts to reading. So writing, there is the sharing understanding. Yeah. So you are conveying a message in a written form. And that could be done using a keyboard. It could be dictation or it could be the handwriting. And to me, reading is the same. So we've had Aaron Smith on before who loves books, but he's severely dyslexic because he listens to them. But if he's listening to a book, he is listening to a book. So it's still, to me, that is still reading. Absolutely. And that's (laughs) the bit that's really important because when I've worked with a huge number of special schools now, I've just come back to two, from two amazing schools. And for that, that whole day, the big focus has been, look at what you're doing already. Look yeah. at these wonderful, I mean, in one of the schools, they had boxes and boxes of these amazing sensory stories. Brilliant. Some of the staff hadn't seen them before because they didn't feel they were necessarily appropriate for some of the other learners, or they may have been in a cupboard somewhere. So again, it's about let's have a look at all that great stuff we're doing already and let's talk about it as reading. Let's not yep. do anything necessarily hugely different. Let's just talk about everybody reading, us all us all reading. This is what it looks like and everyone accesses yep. it differently. I think, I think some people literally think reading as a child has to have a book in their hand and they have to be sight reading, phonic decoding, all that sort of stuff. No, that's, that's later on. You've got to get them into wanting to. So listening to books being read by others, as you said, the sensory stories where is a really good thing because you're helping them think about and trying to imagine that in their head and trying to get them hooked into listening and engaging with that story. And you might, and some people will say, well, if, if they're not holding a book, they're not reading. It's like, yes, they are. Because reading is something that someone has written earlier yep. and you are then accessing yep. later. You're accessing the meaning from it. That's the absolute key. I always say within my training, we talk about walking into a room and reading the room, reading people's faces, because actually it's about getting meaning from something. Yes. And that's the really important part. And that's about us changing our definition. It's about us thinking about it differently. It's not about our learners doing anything. It's about us, which I always say we're the most important, most expensive resource within a school. And actually, we can have the most influence on what we're doing. Yes. And just thinking there, within the framework, it talks about the simple view of reading, yep. which is really it's, it's embedded right across the UK within our reading curriculums. And that just talks about those two really important dimensions of, as we were, you were saying there, language comprehension and word recognition. Yeah. Both are really important, but actually then the, the, the next dimension is motivation, engagement. Yeah. You can't make someone read. No. That's it. They have to want to. They have to see this as something that's like, oh, 
I think I might get something out of that. That might be enjoyable. I have one daughter who has, she's just going off to college and she probably has a hundred books in her room and she will devour, she could probably devour the whole of the Harry Potter series in a couple of weeks. She is just, she'll pick up a book, she'll read it, she'll just burn through it. My other daughter won't pick up a book. She's going into year nine. She just hates reading. There's a couple of books where, and it's often where it's a book maybe based on a series, which actually the other way around probably, the, book, the series is based on the book, but she's got hooked into the series. Mm-hmm. And then she's found out a book and it's gone, well, I love the series so I can read the book. So she really, for her, the motivation, the hook is the hardest part. She can do amazing. She got, I think she got greater depth in her sats, yet she wouldn't read. Mm-hmm. So the abilities, all that, but it's that, that hook, that motivation, why read, and reading for pleasure, all that isn't there for her. And I haven't found any way to get her to pick something up. But generally, everything is getting to the point of forcing her. Yeah. So if she wants to do that activity, fine, go read this. I don't want to. <laughs> Anything like that. It's that, that hook, that wanting to, the desire. And if you make reading quite dry, where it's just you have a colour scheme library with the reading scheme, and you are literally looking at the books, and that child isn't engaged or wanting to, you've got a very big challenge. Absolutely. You, the hook comes first. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a big issue is that because this debate has become quite divided and because you've got some people saying, well, I think we shouldn't be talking about reading for these learners, but actually there's no cutoff point. Which learners are we talking about? And, and where does that cutoff point start and stop? And if you've got a class of learners and you're saying, OK, we're talking about those guys learning, but not those guys, then wh- how is that going to support what you're providing? I, I think the people who are saying that are probably stuck on that very traditional writing is involving yeah. a pen and reading is involving them holding a book. With our, our content we created at B Squared for the engagement model, I, I'm not a fan of reading or writing because it always has that inferred meaning to lots of people. So we also used Stephen Hawkins because everyone knows Stephen Hawkins. He's a really good way of talking about him. So I can say Stephen Hawkins generally has one communication means. Yeah. He uses the software and then the voice comes out. So he can use that same communication method to respond to a question you're asking him. And we all know he has his sarcasm. He has his humor. He is just trapped in and it all comes out in an amazing way. But then he uses that same communication method to write the most in-depth books we most of us can't understand. Mm-hmm. But it's all done through the same communication method. And it's the same when he's receiving, he's receiving all the same way and things. So we use the term recorded communication spontaneous. Because mm-hmm. it's you can use the same communication method, but there are the skills involved in spontaneous is you're listening you're responding, you're waiting, you're doing all of that. Whereas the recorded, you're still structuring, you're thinking about things. The same we do that is if you're having a conversation with someone, you'll give them a short version of something. They'll look at you quizzical and you'll give them more information. You'll fill it in. Whereas if you're sending an email, you'll probably just write the full version because you've got to assume they don't, so you've got to get made. So the way you communicate in different ways is completely different. And we just need to think, 
reading does not have to involve a physical book or them holding. That's the biggest change. That's where we get to. That's later on, yes. But reading at the lowest level is not that. And, and the, in, the, the interesting thing that I always say is actually, if we don't use the term reading, it does actually exclude lots more re- learners because actually reading, uh, the reading curriculum, the reading kind of as, as a, a thing is something which is right across the board for all learners. It's established as a fundamental part of education, as a fundamental part of well-being, as yep. hugely important to us learning about the world, about ourselves, about other people. So if we're saying that we're not going to talk about reading for certain learners, then actually what we're doing is excluding them from learning about the world around them. And and one of the big things that I kind of I I say within my training is we need to draw attention to print in the environment because we are surrounded by print. Print is all around us. So if we're saying we're teaching our learners with the most complex needs, the most profound learning difficulties, if we're saying about about them, you know, that we're not going to talk about print that's around them, we're not maybe going to include the print that is their name within something that we're doing or the initial letter of their name when we talk about their name. If we're not going to include any of that information, actually, that's excluding something which is all around them. Yes. So it's about opening. It's not about making something tokenistic. It's not about doing something as a one-off. It's about including the information as part of their world, but making sure it's appropriate, making sure it's meaningful, making sure that there's that engagement and that all of that is absolutely key. So we've got, as we've said, you've had Joanna Grace on here and she's got some amazing sensory stories they can be used right across the board. I worked recently with a secondary mainstream school looking at some of their learners who are struggling with reading. And I gave them access to kind of just all these links and resources and said, these are really good. Pete Wells, his sensory stories or his sensory podcasts and his new kind of thing that he's doing now for inclusive stories, brilliant for older learners, making language and storytelling and narrative accessible to everyone. And again, we're not saying you're going to have this and now you're going to have to answer all these questions or you're going to have to read this sentence or you're going to have to do this. You're going to be immersed in this rich literacy experience where you might then want to go, do you know what? I'd like to find out a bit more about that. I'd like to have another one of those experiences. So one of the things, if we think of older learners, go to the other end of the spectrum and we hit the GCSE students doing Romeo and Juliet. They don't just read the book. They'll generally watch the Romeo and Juliet film with Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, or they'll watch some plays. So rather than just reading the book going, I don't know what's going on, they watch the play, they watch the film, they'll watch what's going on, which will help them understand the text. So in theory, while they're watching this play, they're, they're getting that meaning, they're understanding, and it kind of blurs between listening and reading. It kind of blurs those lines, but it is you're getting that information. And when you go back to this book, you're now going, I get this more. And it's the same way for the lower levels, that sensory stuff. When you're reading a book to them and they've got the sensory stuff, it's helping them key in to what's going on, especially if they don't have that range of experiences. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And and that's really important as well, because we know that in terms of learning, the more routes that information takes to reach our brain, the more likely it is that we're going to either retain it or we're going to it's going to become meaningful. It's going to be something that we actually learn and is transferred to that long term memory. So actually, um, there's that aspect that we provide information through our senses, through our hearing, through our vision. We've got all of those roots. We, we we feel things. We talk about things. We do something. You have drama. I'm sure if they were doing Romeo and Juliet, they would create their own little dramatic pieces. They would be yeah. involved in that. So you're living the actual experience. And that's absolutely fundamental. So it means that you get that whole continuum of language, of this whole experiences of reading right down right from kind of like very early levels right up to if you think about us as readers I haven't learned everything that there is to know I'm really (laughs) actually quite poor at decoding and I realize maybe being a child of the kind of 70s catch it if you can I didn't really learn about language and I didn't really learn about phonics in that way so I struggle and I know I do I still not great on verbs, nouns, and adjectives. Oh, I literally, no. I could not tell you, no. and no. and all this stuff. And I'm literally going, oh, I have no idea what you're on about. And I've got to this world, I can do things, but it just is is a hole. Which, as you said, for the child of the seventies, certain things were not covered, no. or they were covered in a way that it wasn't made clear. So you someone say something, I have no idea what you're on about, but I learned lots as my daughter went through primary school. Oh, that's what I'm doing now. I'm learning as my son is going through primary school. Also, of course, doing the training is great because the big point there is that actually you've got staff and professionals within these schools who are being told this is what we have to be doing who haven't had the training and support and experience of some of the vocabulary that's being used now, especially when we talk about phonics. I absolutely recommend there's lots of really good sites out there that have got there's a phonics books which are obviously links at the end but that have got a lovely infographic that just give you this is what this means when we talk about a word when we talk about a syllable when we talk about a phoneme when we talk about gpc how many staff graphene phoneme correspondence how many people have said to me i don't actually know what that means but not in front of others because people are embarrassed to ask and that's really important that we are aware that actually I wasn't taught like it. Lots of our staff weren't taught like it. And it's part of something else that they have to do. I think the old days, you're given worksheets, you work through them, but it wasn't necessarily explained what or no. what that was doing. No. And I remember being in school years ago when a teacher, we we're doing training and it got to a point, we did the big thing in the school. We're going around the school in different classrooms. And I was working with this teacher and another teacher came in and she went, what's a CVC word? Oh, I can still get asked that, yeah. And I was like, wow, I've known that one for years. But again, I know about it mm-hmm. because at B squared, we used to work book on mm-hmm. CBC words. Like, it's a CBC word. Yeah. And my mum went, it's a consonant yeah. vowel consonant. Oh, that's really obvious now. Yeah. But if you don't know, you don't know. But you probably, as a teacher, you use worksheets with cat and dog and big. And you had it. You did all this, but you it just necessarily wasn't pointed out what it was. And sometimes when you're also a member of, you know, all that stuff with our working memory, sometimes we're under pressure, sometimes when we're, we actually need to kind of have those terms and words somewhere. I always suggest like a folder 
of some useful things like terminology and vocabulary to use for all staff just to have access to. But also, let's tell our learners what these things mean. Let's talk yep. about this or have it somewhere. Again, I'm not talking about littering the walls with lots of stuff, but actually you can have some kind of a folder or something for the tables that just folds out with some of the really key terms on which or that yep. we talk about or that at the beginning of the lesson we revise. Don't forget this was a, if we talk about CVC, this is what it is. And again, yep. that structured formal stuff is not going to be appropriate for everyone, but it's around us. So let's yeah. talk about what these things mean. So with reading, we've talked about the sensory stories. So that is that, and I was listening to because is kind of quite low level stuff. You've got independent reading. Let's start. What is the earliest type of reading then? Let's let's try and help people see what is reading at different stages. So, so if you think about the earliest experiences that are provided to typically developing learners who are you know, newborn infants, actually, if you think about sometimes what's happening when they're in the womb, you know, where women who are yeah, having stories read, books read, nursery rhymes, sharing lots of literacy-rich experiences. If you think, I, I always show a clip of the Scottish grandmother with Wonky Donkey. She's reading Wonky Donkey to her grandson. If you've not yes. seen that yet, it's great. But if Very you funny. if you look at basically these early experiences, when we read, and I was told my son, you've got to read books to him from, from the very beginning and you've got to kind of share rhymes and poems and limericks and all of these things. You're not saying, right, can you tell me now what happened in that story to a three-month-old? Or can you find the word the? Or can you find the word donkey? And actually, you're probably not doing that until much, much later. And yes. what, what you've had, though, are years of rich experiences of language and its link to print. You will have had alphabet freezes. You will have had all different toys and set, set, all of these things that would have kind of reinforced things to do with the alphabet, to do with letters and sounds, to do with alliteration, to do with rhymes and rhythms. Lots and lots of, of the, the, the chants and things that we do or that have got that real wonderful rhythm of language. So for our learners at that very early stage of development, their reading curriculum may just consist of these really important, rich experiences that give them an understanding of the world around them, that give them an understanding of language. One of the things that I really kind of I talk about for all learners is that importance of sound and understanding sound and language. We do lots of work within our sort of early phases of, of curriculum and development for learners, looking at tolerating sound, kind of being more aware of sound. And when we get to talk about phonics, the very earliest aspects of that and the foundations, parts of that, is that understanding of a difference between two sounds. And that's yep. really key. So when we're talking about that earliest aspect, we're talking about those really rich literacy experiences. But actually, for our learners who have got kind of thinking about within a more semi-formal curriculum, actually, maybe they're 11 or 12, they will have had lots of very negative experience with literacy and with language and with reading so it's again about giving them that richness but making yeah. it appropriate and engaging to them and unthreatening and building yeah. up confidence i have many people coming and asking what do we do this learner's 15 he's never going to be able to read he's not shown any interest he's not 
And and actually it's about, okay, well, they've probably missed because A, they didn't, for many reasons, those experiences weren't relevant. They weren't something they attended to or they weren't something that was kind of part of this environment. So we need to start at that. Let's get loads of really rich kind of listening experiences with great language, with great stories, but also poems, also songs and lyrics where appropriate. And I'm just thinking is that understanding, that listening and trying to understand. So if you're thinking, if you have an older teenager who is a a boy into football, you could get him rather than watching a football match, listen on the radio. Because that way, if he can understand what's going on and he can visualise it, he is experiencing that information. He's not having the visuals of the football match. He is hearing what's going on and he's having to comprehend and listen to those clues in what's being said. Listen to the voice, to what's actually going on that he can't see. And to get the intonations of language, to get the understanding yes. of language, to get the flow of language. And then what you do is you, when when they kind of are more engaged or thinking about or really into or motivated by something, then you introduce some of the print. It relevates yes. some of the print, how that links. I, I, I mean, I always show in my training things like there's a guy called Wes Tank on there who raps Dr. Seuss books and he's on YouTube and he's, I mean, and it's really great. You know, I do lots of work with Carol Allen yes. and, and Carol had said to me on one of the things when I showed that, she said, some people are like that and some people won't. And actually that was a bit of a revelation. I mean, I love a bit of rap. So I was like, oh yeah. And it's, but we've got to remember that with everything. We've got to find there's- a hook. There's a book called Pants. Yep. Great children's book. And you can get a CD, which has been done by Lenny Henry, where he sings the book, but he does a rap version. He does a version which sounds like Queen in the 80s. He does like an Aberystyle version. He does like 10 different versions of the same book, the same story, the same words. Big pants, small pants, yellow submarine pants, dancing with the queen pants, la la. It's just so much fun. It's like a full on rock, full on rap, yeah. full on, and it is just so much fun in in the way it's it's just shared. And it is again, you hear the thing, you learn the words, you look at the book, Absolutely. and you've now got the rhythm yeah. of those words in your head from it being sung to you, being said to you. You look at those words, and you've got it. And then you start making your own book about pants and you use the word pants and you talk about all members of your families and pants or or, all all people, all the teachers and the staff in the school have been about pants. And you use that. I mean, there's some brilliant resources out there for making books with making books in so many different ways. Audio clips, video clips, images. I always recommend Call Scotland. The Call Scotland have got brilliant infographics on their site, which have got links to Book Creator or all these other kind of apps that are around that you can make books with. But I always say as well, the simplest book is using a word and a picture and sticking it on a page. But for our learners, to make it as accessible as possible, you've got to make sure that you're, you've got the objects, you've got the all of that, all of that kind of key aspect. And it is, it is it's just helping them understand the meaning. That's it's usually conveying yep. meaning. Yep. And it's it will start with pictures and it will move into words. But in the same way that those youngsters they're listening, it's also understanding that you will see a dog in a park 
but understanding that there's a picture of a dog and that's representing that real life event and mm-hmm. linking that and then you yeah. get the word. And it's all of that transferring what you're seeing into real life into the book and then yeah. realising the book is actually trying to tell you a story that happened in real life or yeah. it made up. But it, it's that understanding that meaning so it helps you imagine. And you can't underestimate that kind of, that level of understanding that going from yeah. it's, some, it's something being said to me to actually this is something that happened and I can imagine it. And what would you do next? It's like, oh, so if this was me, what would I do? All of that stuff is a load of development to get there. And, and all of that as well, the really important aspect of that is that actually reading is about write, about the reading somebody else's writing. So it's about yes. somebody else's ideas. So the absolute fundamental aspect there is let's get our ideas down as well. And let's get people reading the kind of things that we want to, sharing our stories. There's fantastic resources available to support all the storytelling. You've got Flo Longhorn's books now, our, our Google Docs, available free. Literacy for very special learners is so relevant today. Massive. It, you've got massive ideas of how to make very kind of simple and relevant books to record that information because that's it. You've got the meaning and then that's my story. And then how can I, other people can share my story. So actually you can have a meet the author. Yes, People come to the class, you've got a special chair or special decoration or whatever. And actually people come to meet the author of this. And it could be audio recorded. It could be using your AAC device. It could be lots of ways for you to be able to record something that others can access and therefore read you about your experiences. I talk yeah. lots about QR codes and I'm a bit, little bit of a, new, a nerd about all of this now. There are some brilliant sites where you can just, you know, see obviously stories, as you said, there with Pants and Lenny Henry. You can see or hear all different stories. But actually, you can have QR codes hanging up in your classroom or make them about your own books that people hold their iPad over. And if you've kind of made your own book, videoed you, sharing it or videoed, they can hold the QR code over and it'll open it up and then they can experience it. So if you don't know much about QR codes, you'll see QR codes around. They're like they're square barcodes. Yeah. And I you think. can scan them on your yeah. phone. Yeah. If you, literally, you can see a movie yeah. poster, yeah. scan it on your phone, it'll take you to a website. That's great. And you'll see them around in lots of places. You'll go somewhere in the ticket and they'll get their device out. They'll scan that QR code. It tells them what your ticket is yeah. and all that, that. But you, anyone can create QR codes. Yeah. And a QR code could contain your business card, but it can contain any web address. So what you can do is you can create your own QR code, point it to a web address, print it out, and if someone scans it, it will go to that web address. Yeah. So I had a really entertaining story of somebody printed out a QR code, stuck it in one of their cabinets in their house, and then while someone went to view that house to look around, they opened this cabinet, went, what's that QR code for? Scanned the QR code and got rickrolled, which basically means you get played, Rick Astley's never going to give you up. <laughs> I've never heard that, Dale. I mean, of all the things to talk about with you, QR codes, I mean, you are my technical wizard. You are like the person I come through any information. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, so QR codes are amazing because it is literally, yeah. rather than having to write down a web address, yep. scan that with your phone, you're on the website. 
It just brilliant. And so now, of course, being a bit old school, of books used to have a CD in the back of them. They don't now. Books now have a QR code. So actually, when you're sharing a book, you know, you can hold it over and it opens up to usually to someone reading it, more information about it. I've got a great book from the British Museum that when you hold the QR code over, it gives you information about all the stuff in the book. Incredible. Yeah. You know. And you, you'll find if you go around museums as well, they often have them. So what you can do is... We went through where you have the bit of information, they have the French, German, the German, and then you have these big devices you put your headphones on. But now you can, the reality in some museum, you scan that QR code, it asks you what language, and then you can just read it in your own language on your own device, which is really good. And what's nice about it, it's going to add in that independent element. So actually, if you've got it sort of some things in the classroom that learners, they've got their iPad, they've got headphones, they can make choices between different stories they want to hear read to them. And they can have, because that's the really important part is about reading being about what you enjoy about having the opportunity to choose between different experiences. If you're sharing a sensory story, do you give learners that opportunity to kind of do that choice making? Which ones would they like to be part of and to hear? So, yeah, so then, so that literacy rich experience and that literacy rich kind of those opportunities don't change. They they are the same right across that continuum. So even when, as you're saying, like with your daughter, it's about let's think about if you've got those readers who are at that formal reading level. okay, but they're not engaging in it with as much as because maybe they've had some negative experience or maybe the reluctant reader because of lots of things. Other things interest them more. But actually, maybe it's looking at what experiences, rich literacy experiences could be out there that she might enjoy and would make her want to maybe discover other aspects of the kind of literacy world. I think for my daughter, she kind of lacks that imagination. So I sit there and when I read a book, I'm kind of watching yeah. a movie in yeah. my head. I'm I'm visualising, I'm trying to imagine and I can do that. And as everyone says, they'll read their book, they'll go watch the programme and go, no, he doesn't look like that. Oh, that's not him. That. Yeah. He doesn't look like that. Oh, they? no, no. No, that's not him. That, oh, that's, I, but other times you'll see And also when I go watch a film and then I read a book, I'm literally watching the people in the film doing what's happening in the book. Yeah. But my daughter, when I said this to her, she just looked at me very confused. Because it's I very went, different. What? But it's very different for people. Everyone's experiences yeah. are so different. So she doesn't have this thing going on in her head. She's just hearing the words and they're not really forming into anything. Yeah. So whereas if she watches TV, she's getting so much more from it and i'm not something that can be something taught to her or it's something short because she is on the spectrum so it just might be actually she so why read for her why pick up a book and read those words yeah because it doesn't give the same it doesn't give the same experience i mean you know the whole thing about turning the subtitles on and actually what that can do is it can give, because sometimes if you can kind of do it subtly and not do it as a kind of a chore, what happens then if you've got the subtitles going across is you're actually tuning into the language a bit. Like some, I know for myself, there's certain words, as I said, I struggle to read or have problems with. But actually then if you're seeing them just, and you, you're you kind of just having them there and it's part of it and it's part of the context of what you're watching is the printed word as well. And so it yep. becomes part of the experience. And also, if it's an unknown word, yep. and you're hearing it. Yep. Sometimes seeing it, you're going, "Oh, that! Oh, that bit in the middle means this," and you can get better meaning than just hearing a word going. I have no idea what you just said then. Yeah. Whereas using that, oh, I know that bit, and that bit means not. So not okay. I kind of know what he's. It helps you have that understanding. And I talk lots about print referencing. And again, print referencing. You know, they talk about that a lot in early years. It's just about paying attention to the print. 
It's just about pointing print out. And actually, that's a lot. We could do lots more of that because you can make it more interactive. So when you're sharing maybe a big book or story or a sensory story or whatever, and actually there's certain words that are reoccurring or whatever, having that word, you know, and actually pointing it out and go, oh, look at this word. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it unusual? All of that, you're just drawing attention to something which is another aspect of the, of, of the story, of the narrative. And yes. that's what I sort of say, because unless we're doing that for a huge amount of learners that we that we work with, you know, unless we're doing that, we're not actually then if you're just suddenly sitting down and starting to work with words or you're suddenly sitting down and starting to try and begin to work with phonics, there's nothing to hook it into. It doesn't mean no. anything. Phonics no. is one part of teaching reading. I always talk about the reading rope because I love as a and that's real nerdy of me, isn't it? How's saying you love the reading rope is a bit sad. But, you know, actually, see, I'm, I, I'm visual. Oh, very quick story there. I, I have to say my, my stepdad will be cross if I say this, but I'm really visual. I, I really hit home the other day. I was trying to buy a new case, a pull-along suitcase, and I wanted a picture because I couldn't think. I was looking at the ones and couldn't decide whether they were bigger or smaller than what I had. So I rang my stepdad and said, could he have a look and see if he could find. Anyway, he said he gave me the measurements. Right. And I said, could you not get me a picture? And he said, we've got the measurements. So that obviously makes quite sense. Dale's there going, yeah, well, that sounds all right to me. So I then went with his measurements and looked at the labels and tried to work out visually how that would compare to that case and how that. Anyway, I've come back with a case twice the size of mine. All right. So I know that the visual I needed a picture. That's all I needed. I needed to see it. Do you know what I do when someone asks me for measurements or how big is it? I use A4 pieces of paper as reference. Yes, that's a really good idea. Yeah, so I will go, it's 20 by 30. They look at me blankly. I go, an A4 piece of paper. Oh! Is an A4 piece of paper 20 by 30? Yeah, 21 by 210 millimetres by 297 millimetres, if you are one of those people who know it exactly. No, that's fine. So if you say the suitcase is 40 by 30, you go, well, that's two A4 pieces of paper next to each other. And you look at your desk and go, that's a great size. Oh, my God. Just having that simple reference of a piece of paper. But you see what you've done Also, It's visual. Yeah. But also what you can do is if you don't have a measuring tape, but you have a piece of paper, Mm. you can measure in units of 30 one way. You can measure in units of 20 the other. You can fold it in half. Now you've got a 15. Fold the other half, you've got 10. The A4 piece of paper is the most useful measuring tool in the world. Right. And I, I've, I've looked at a house and gone, oh, I haven't got this. Okay, one, two, three pieces of paper, and it's half of that. Cool, so it's a metre long. <sighs> Go back with the measuring tape, and it'll be like one metre, two, what, 98. I don't, if I need exactly, yes, take it. But as a rough thing, That's the piece of paper, and it's so visual. We all know how big a piece of paper is. But for some people, that wouldn't, wouldn't work. But now that's really going to work for me. But, but back to the reading. Basically, the reading rope, what I like is, and I think that for all, for us all across working with all learners, is that what it does, it visually represents language comprehension, all the strands of language comprehension, all the little bits, all the threads that kind of make up language comprehension. And that includes vocabulary, that includes understanding background knowledge. So facts, concepts, understanding about all of that. And also that literacy knowledge. But then the other, so there's two thick strands, word recognition being the other one. And one bit of that word recognition is phonics and the teaching of phonics. Okay, but one big important bit. 
So when we think about what we do for all learners, actually, we can look at, do you know what we're doing here? We're actually doing some form of guided reading or shared reading activity. And within that, we're supporting their vocabulary. Within that, we're supporting that understanding of background knowledge. But by print referencing and pointing out and talking about the sounds they can hear, or even the sounds that language makes, we're helping them to think about decoding. And that's the thing. It's comprehension is, it's that meaning. Yep. It's the meaning. So if I said that yesterday I was on the train for 16 hours, we have all, every adult has generally inferred that was probably hell. Yeah. That was, what, what, yeah. what was the delay? Because you live in England and no train journey in England should take 16 hours. You go from the top to the bottom, it takes about five, six, seven, eight hours. How was it 16 hours? What went wrong? My God, what was the food? Was there food? And you literally, all this, just me saying, I was on a train for 16 hours, We've inferred so much from that statement. If you say to a child, I was on a train for 16 hours, I go, okay, why? Why is they just like, because they haven't had the range of experiences. Yeah. Or I was sitting on a train and I might say, and I, I was sitting in this and you might go, oh, I was sat near the toilet. Yeah. As soon as I say I was on a train and the only seat was next to the toilet, everyone went, oh, because it probably might smell. Or you've got or people coming the, in and out of the toilet all the time. Yeah. yeah. And again, we infer the meaning. So, and that's obvious, but when you sit in there going, I was sitting on a bus and it was a bouncy road, or it was, and you're going, what does that mean? And you kind of have to help them try and live it, especially if they've not been on a bus and not been over speed bumps and not been over, you kind of have to help them really to live it, get to the meaning. understand the meaning. And what's the easiest way to do that? Using a story or a book or a poem or a narrative or something to as a base. And then using yes. that, I talked lots about, you know, actually then to help them to live the, live that experience. But you use it to something to anchor it into, not just we're now yeah. going to talk about what it's like to be on a train. No, you tell a story about a train journey or you tell you have a poem about it and then you, you, you work around that. But you also might you have bring the visuals. So what Absolutely. does it be? If you've not been a train, yeah. what is it like on a train? Yep. Oh, is it quite and you get a yep. table? That's lovely. And you, you all and sit on a train. You you kind of act that out. Yeah. So all of that is part of it. And what I, I still find quite interesting is you. I watch a film with my teen daughters, and they'll say something, and I'm like, me and my wife react. I look at my daughters; they're blank. I went, "Do you know what that means?" They're going, "No." Yeah. I'm like, "Oh, I, 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 I should." So again, what you understand as a film. And I reckon when I watch a film, I'm still only getting 80% of it. Yeah. There's still bits I'm missing. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be because I'm a bloke and that's a female actress and she's just doing that to another female and it's a woman thing and I don't get it because I'm not. Yeah. There are lots of things. And it's the thing. I would never go say I got 100% of that film. Yeah. I'd always say I get 80% because something going on, I don't have that knowledge. I don't know that bit. I don't know that bit. But our children will get a lot less than that. And the interesting part about that, which I always say as well, is that young children, typically developing young children, request the same book again and again and again. You'll know that if you've got you know, children. Yes. They want the same book. And I'm like that, really? Am I going to have to read this story again? And each time that's shared and read, first of all, it's that whole, the, the confidence and the understanding and the, the predictability of it and that consistency. But each time it's read, they'll probably be getting something slightly different out of it. And actually, yes. I have. That's from, from myself doing that. For our learners who have got the most complex needs, they will have missed out on lots of that. 
or they will have not. And actually, if they're older, it might not have been thought, you know, people be like, actually, you've heard that quite a few times. I'm not doing that again because it's not something necessarily that's felt as relevant. But that key experience of hearing something again and again and again is crucial to get that meaning, to embed that knowledge, to kind of give that greater understanding of things. And also, do you know what else? Just to enjoy it. Because that's the important aspect about reading as well. It gets hooked up with, you have to learn it to do something. So I'm not talking about making, you know, so our learners at the very early stages of development, I'm not talking about them kind of becoming these formal readers and that we're trying to change cognitively. We're trying to make something happen. No, we're trying to give them this really key, rich experiences that are going to enhance their lives, give them a bit more information about the world around them, but could also lead to maybe, you know, if you're not giving them the experience, there will never be that kind of learning potential. So it's about giving the learning opportunity, but then also doing it because it's enjoyable. Yes. And doing it because you want them to know that when someone kind of shares this uh, this kind of experience, whether it be a sensory story, whether it be an audible story, whatever, it's something that they're probably going to enjoy. And that's... Definitely. Not they're going to be quizzed about. So there's a great film called Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Nick Frost, yep. Simon Pegg, yep. police officers. And I've... It's one of the films I can put on and watch again and again and again and again because it is just easy to watch. I know it so well. I literally am probably into triple figures of how many times I've watched that film. Yeah. And I'm still seeing new bits because what I'm doing is I know exactly what the two people at the front of the camera are doing. Yeah. I know what they're saying. I know what they're going to do. So I'm now paying attention to the people behind who are kind of helping you fill in the scene and you're just seeing what they're doing and you're just getting picking up more and more and you're making links between bits you've not made a link before. And it, I, I, there's a lot of depth in that film, more than you realise. And there's bits, um, Gavin and Stacey is another one. There's lots of little bits which go on in the background, which I'd watched it for years and someone was going, have you seen this? But I went, what? I was like, mm, oh my clever. God, how have I missed that? Mm. And I, I class, whether it's correct or not, I class watching... TV is reading. Absolutely. Watching movies. It is reading. It is something that someone is conveying their story. Their meaning. And all that meaning. Yep. All wrapped up in a visual. Yeah. There's listening because you're hearing the words, but you're you're getting much more than that. Yeah. You are You're listening to language. You're listening to the kind of how the the emotions that are kind of portrayed with the language. You're listening to all of that. And you you might be listening to some very watching some quite surreal stuff where you're re- they're really trying to convey the impact of how they felt. So watching that is reading. You're helping them, but it's a, it's a really easy access one because you're watching them on a bumpy bus. So you're now seeing what's happening to them on that bumpy bus and things like that. So it's watching those things is reading, but it's choosing the right ones, choosing ones which are kind of helping you see. So it's not about sticking them in front of Harry Potter because if you think there's a lot of things you kind of have to know that as soon as you put that hat on, it means they're a wizard. And yeah. all those preconceptions, all that background information you take in gives you that story. It's going to be simpler. It's got to be simpler. Well, it can be for some of the older, you know, Harry Potter. It could be. You could, but you could do lots of uh, lots of work around that meaning. You could do lots of work about what happens when people put the hat on. And that's the bit about it. As long as you embed it in meaningful experiences. 
as well as it being enjoyable and whatever else it, it you do have to make sure that again as well making sure you're you're drawing attention to this was a story this was this is how it was it's portrayed so you know all yeah. all of that but absolutely i mean i watch paddington over and over again just because of my 6 year old but you know paddington 2 wow what a great film it's got some great depth to that but it has and you it can has. you can watch it and you get different things and i'm like oh i didn't notice that before and it is, it is. You sit there and it is, there's so much depth to it, more than you realise. And again, if you watch, I think The Incredibles, the Disney film, yeah. was one of their first where it's kind of two films in one. Yeah. There's a film for the kids and there's a film for the adults. So you're watching a film and you're finding it funny. Your kids are watching it film and you're all laughing at different points or you're laughing at the same joke for different reasons. Yeah. And that's, and at some point your kids will rewatch that film and go, Oh, that's a bit. Yeah. And things like that. There's certain things. There's a bit in Madagascar where they're on the island and the zebra and the lion are running towards each other and it's all happy. Then it goes wrong and the zebra says, sugar, honey, iced tea. And that's a rude word. Oh, see, I didn't get that. I've watched that loads of times. Oh, interesting. Yes. Sugar, honey, iced tea. Spell it out. But again, great. But how many people have just sat there and went, no, it doesn't? Yes. How many times have you seen it and you've not spotted in I Love Elf? Oh, very good, yeah. Santa swears. What in the Sam Hill is that? Spell it out. He says the same word. But again, the kids won't see it. And it took me, I go, well, who's Sam Hill? <laughs> and finally, it's I, I got it. I got that meaning. No, it's, it's, and, it, and it's really important. Yeah, it's really important. That, but we need to give lots and lots of these experiences. We need to give lots and lots of these opportunities. We need to talk about reading right across the board. Yes. And, and, and have opportunities for staff to all work together. Because the big thing with the book that I've just written, what, what the big thing about that is I've used examples and I've asked, because lots of the schools I work with were like sending me sort of stories about the impact it had in their classroom. So I've used examples of kind of impact of this slight change in approach, just slight change in maybe what we do in terms of making sure there's sort of reading is talked about and is on the timetable and is a, and, and actually we're including the stuff we're already doing, but in this inclusive framework. And it's amazing. The impact, and that's the good thing that we need to keep doing for our learners, is gathering these kind of stories of how, what impact this is having and the changes that it's making to the learners. Definitely. So the last thing I just want to end on is just making sure people are really reframing what they think reading is to me. We have that very traditional approach of what is reading, what is writing, and we need to sit there and go, as you said, reading reading is accessing someone's, what they, they've shared their meaning is accessing that. And accessing that from, a, from an object, from a picture, from a person, from interaction, from print. Yes, so sensory stories, listening yep. to a story, yep. watching something, all of that is reading. It's all going to come together to build and all that, lots of that being repeated, either the same thing or slowly increasing, will hopefully lead to print if that's what works for a child, but it's not always going to be print. But, but it will never lead to print if we don't give them those experiences that link print and language and meaning together. So actually, yeah. what's the use of not talking about everyone reading? Why? Because actually, if we do, we're including everyone in something that's already established. And so I always say it's not about doing either or. It's about doing 
both. Yes. It's about making it part of a framework where everyone's included. Definitely. So thank you for coming on the show today, Sarah. Thank you for having me. It's great. So as always, I'm going to share useful links that Sarah's can provide me in the show notes, and I'll provide them along with Sarah's contact details, and you'll find the show notes wherever you listen to the podcast or on the website. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find links to subscribe across all the different podcast platforms, or you'll find them on our website. So if you don't want to listen to it, you can go to it through the website, and you'll find the links to the different platforms. Please follow us on social media. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, just search for The Sendcast and you'll find us. Before we go, I would just like to remind you to check out what we do here at B-Squared. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Training for Education. And you'll find a number of our guests, our speakers, at one of our virtual send conferences or have recorded their own training courses. And Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And lastly, don't forget our assessment product. This is what B-Squared is known for, helping schools show the small steps of progress of pupils that pupils with SEND make. We cover a huge range from early years to post-16 and preparing for adulthood. And we have lots of stuff on that reading and the writing at very levels. And it is about those small steps and bringing it all together. And you can go to our website, which is www.bsquared.co.uk for more information. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.